Snow White is a timeless fairy tale that has captured the hearts of audiences for generations, and its magical narrative continues to inspire and resonate with people of all ages. From the original Brothers Grimm version to Disney's beloved adaptation, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves weaves a spellbinding narrative of love, friendship, and the triumph of goodness over evil. With its classic themes of good versus evil, love, and overcoming adversity, it's easy to see why it's among the favorites in people's hearts and minds. Today we'll explore the fascinating nuances and captivating themes behind Snow White that reminds us of the enduring magic that lies within classic fairy tales and the disturbing warnings that remain relevant even today. I'm Vanessa K. Eccles, and this is Fabled. When you're the wickedest monster in the woods, you don't fear what's there, only what has been. Snow fell like glitter from the heavens, but I remained frozen in momentary terror. Every time I walked past this spot in the woods, under the wide open arms of the ancient oak, I remembered the huntsman and his commission to murder me at the queen's demand. He'd raised his axe, but stopped himself mid-swing. My heart raced and cheeks flushed at the memory. I wanted nothing more than to keep walking, to never come to this place again, to never allow fear to arrest me like this. But something kept leading me here on my walks. Perhaps it was some muscle memory or the unfinished trauma of it all. I cannot be sure. I forced myself to take a step, my boots feeling heavy as iron. It took place so long ago, and I had lived, I had survived. Due to his kindness or lust, I know not. It doesn't matter. Many moons have tried to bury that memory, but still, I am here. My black hair now glistened with gray blue over my shoulder. A storm was brewing. I needed to return home. I pushed through the rows and rows of trees into the darkened forest. The rustle of some critter or beast caught my attention from time to time, but I kept going, determined to make it home before dinner was served. I stomped my boots and hung my blood-red cloak on the hook when I snuck into the kitchen. The savory aromas filled my belly with sudden hunger. I dressed, the heavy golden velvet warmed me like a blanket, a comforting embrace. The king's footsteps approached my door, my heart jolted. He knocked gently on the door. Briar, dear, are you there? His voice was soft and kind, so tender toward me even after all these years. Yes, my love, I'll be down in a moment. I clasped the emerald necklace and turned to face the mirror. Guilt flooded within me as his steps took him farther away from my door. I knew I should have burned the mirror, the source of so much grief and terror, the very thing that made my stepmother an attempted murderess. 
but I couldn't. It had been such an advocate of me over the years. It had told me the things my soul yearned to hear. I'd resisted using it lately, though. Now that age had crept its gnarly way to my eyes, mouth, and neck, its creases slowly morphing me into a woman I hardly recognized. A thick woolen blanket had covered its peering, but I threw it off. Hello, mirror, I said, just above a whisper. Hello, snow, or briar, it said, voice familiar and slithering as if spoken by some animated serpent. It had resented me, going by my given name, briar. It preferred I use its name for me, snow. Magic mirror on the wall. Show me the truth, darkness, and all. I told it, embraced for the images it would flash across the smooth, reflective surface. Immediately, the mirror blazed images of me throughout the years, beginning with the murder of my stepmother at my request. Her face deformed into a mask of horror, her collapse on the stone floor, the applause of the townsfolk around us. In that act, I'd created a monstrous twin within me, one that harbored evil thoughts and prompted me to sometimes act upon those thoughts. After watching myself perform hideous things, it shone the one I'd been most horrified of, a scene of me using sorcery against my own daughter so she would marry the man her father and I had picked for her. I turned away from the mirror. It must have sensed my dismay because it said, My dear, don't be bothered. It is the nature of this life to muddy our innocence and twist our love into manipulative control. I don't want to be like her, I said, referring to my stepmother and my mother before her. I want to be who I was before. My evil reflection clicked its tongue. What has been will never be again. Your fairness, your beauty, your goodness. It's eroding with every breath you take. There are numerous young women who have surpassed you in the kingdom. I bit my lip, then quickly straightened my shoulders and stood up straight. I would not allow the mirror to get into my head. I curse you and the wickedness that you brought to life. I grabbed the candlestick and smashed it as hard as I could into the glass, shattering the mirror. The sound of destruction was like music to my ears. A gentle smile rose to my eyes. No more, I thought. Its reign of resentment, jealousy, and malevolence was over. I took a deep breath and turned for the door. I imagined my husband below sitting at the table, a beautiful meal before him. But just as I wrapped my fingers around the knob, something grabbed my arm and spun me around. It was me. Well, not me. Couldn't be me, but someone who looked like me. Thank you for finally freeing me, dear, it said leaning in so close I could smell the stench of decay on its breath. I was beginning to think that no one would. The woman who wore my face, my clothes, wrenched my wrist until I hit the floor, writhing in pain. Please let go. 
She pursed her lips. It's been so many moons since I had to be the one actually doing my own dirty work. It's a shame, really. No one really wants to be the one to do the deed. Only the one watching the deed be done. Her fangs came at me quick. Her jaws dislocating and widening toward me in an awful way that confirmed to me that she was a fiend of evil, as I'd always suspected. Something so dark and corrupt that stained every bit of light ever introduced to it. I made my way down the winding staircase to the dining room where he sat at the head of the table. My darling, I said, gliding my hand across his wide, strong shoulders. You look radiant, he said. His kindness tasted like something sweet in my mouth. Did you enjoy your stroll in the woods today? I sat in the thickly cushioned chair and rested my hands on its golden carved arms. Most certainly, I told him, and cut into a boiled potato. Don't you ever grow fearful out there all alone? He asked, biting into his yeast roll. I chewed the potato and felt something sharp in my mouth. I pulled at it with my tongue and spit it into the embroidered cloth napkin. It was a tiny bone, a remnant of her. I met his concerned gaze and smiled. When you're the wickedest monster in the woods, you don't fear what's there. Snow White, as we know her today, was first introduced to the world in 1812 by the Brothers Grimm. Still, like many of their other stories, it's believed that the tale has been around since the Middle Ages and passed down through oral tradition from generation to generation. The earliest known version comes from the 16th century Italian author Gianfrancesco Strepolia in a collection of stories called The Facetious Knights. The Grimm's version begins with Snow White's mother, the queen, wishing for a daughter to be as fair as snow, with lips red as blood and hair black as ebony. Snow White makes her mother's dreams come true, but the queen dies shortly after her birth. The king later remarries a vile woman who becomes our villain and Snow White's stepmother. As Snow White grows up, she blossoms into a beautiful young woman, and the new queen grows jealous. Not able to stand the presence of someone more beautiful, the queen orders the huntsman to take Snow into the forest, kill her, and bring back her lungs and liver as proof. The huntsman can't stand the thought of killing Snow White, so he lets her escape. He brings her back the lungs and liver of a boar instead. Alone and lost in the forest, Snow White stumbles across a cottage inhabited by seven dwarves. They tell her she can stay if she's willing to help them with some chores. Back at the castle, the queen continues to consult with her magic mirror, asking it, mirror, mirror, on the wall, who's the fairest one of all? To which the mirror answers, my queen, you may be the fairest here, but little Snow White, though far away, with the seven dwarves in her hideaway, is now the fairest ever seen. Enraged that Snow White has escaped, the queen disguises herself as different people to deceive Snow White, but thankfully the dwarves are able to protect Snow from the evil queen. Eventually, though, the queen succeeds in poisoning Snow White with a cursed apple. 
Unable to revive her, the dwarves place her in a glass coffin in the woods. One day, a prince stumbles upon the glass coffin with the beautiful Snow White inside. He instantly falls in love with her and asks the dwarves if he can take her with him. While traveling with her coffin, a bump dislodges the poisoned apple from Snow White's throat and she awakens. The two marry. The queen attends the wedding and is punished for her wickedness. She's forced to wear hot iron shoes and dance until she eventually collapses and dies. Now let's explore some of the big differences between the Grimm's version of Snow White and Disney's adaptation. The first one is that the dwarves aren't given names in the Grimm story unlike Disney version. They are tidy unlike the Disney version's dwarves. The queen asks for Snow's lungs and liver, not her heart like in the Disney version. The queen consumes or cannibalizes Snow White's lungs and liver. The Disney version has Snow White awakened by a kiss, whereas the Grimm's have it be the accidental dislodging of the poisoned apple on the road that actually awakens her. The queen dies by being made to dance in red hot iron shoes versus Disney's version where she's pushed off the side of a cliff and falls to her death. Since these stories so often have something real at their roots, I decided to look that up. And according to author Eckhard Sanders, Snow White may have been inspired by a real woman named Margaretha von Waldeck. She was born in 1533 to Philip IV, Count of Waldeck Wildungeon, and his wife. By all accounts, Margaretha was a beautiful young woman with fair skin and bright red lips. She did have blonde hair rather than dark hair, though. When Margaretha was around four years old, her mother passed away and her father married a beautiful woman named Katharina. According to the stories of Katharina, she was incredibly vain. Supposedly, she loved looking at herself so much that Philip gifted her a large ornate mirror. Katharina resented her husband's children with his first wife, most especially Margaretha. When she was 16, Katharina and Philip sent her to Brussels to find a husband. The future king of Spain, Philip II, and Margaretha fell in love, but the Spanish court hoped for a more advantageous match. It's rumored that Katharina was envious of Margaretha. She feared that she might surpass her by marrying upward. Margaretha died mysteriously in 1554 at the age of 21. In Waldeck Chronicles, it was suggested that she'd been poisoned by someone unknown. It's speculated that the Spanish authorities were the ones who had her killed. The jealous stepmother makes for an arguably better story, but Katharina died a while before she did. The seven dwarves are believed to have been inspired by children who worked in Margaretha's father's copper mines. The children, like the dwarves, lived in groups. Also, the part of the story about the poisoned apple may have been inspired by the fact that a local man from Margaretha's hometown was arrested for trying to give children poisoned apples as revenge for stealing from his apple orchard. There are several themes to note in the story. The first one is beauty and vanity. At its root, the story examines the corruption of pride and vanity, the obsession with physical beauty is all-consuming for the queen and turns her into a monster. She will stop at nothing to obtain the idea of being the most beautiful woman in the land. The second one is jealousy and envy. 
The queen's envy of Snow White fuels her with the desire to have her killed. It highlights the devastating nature of jealousy and the extreme lengths someone might go to to remove anything they find threatening. The third one is goodness and innocence. Snow White is portrayed as the epitome of innocence and kindness. She is pure, good, and trusting. She handles even the most difficult of challenges with grace. Her virtuous nature means that she will always conquer evil, given time. The fourth one is the evil stepmother or mother. The story delves into the dark side of maternity. In 1812, the earliest version of the Grimm's Tale of Snow White, there was no stepmother at all. Instead, it was Snow White's mother who was menacing and jealous. Her mom was the evil one. The fifth one is redemption and forgiveness. Snow White is a forgiving character who doesn't dwell on or seek revenge for the terrible acts of the queen. However, the evil queen is punished in the end, and her sins are redeemed through that punishment. The sixth one is nature and the supernatural. The natural world, especially the forest, is a place of nurturing and protection for Snow White. There's an enchanting element to the queen's ability to alter her appearance there too. In essence, the woods are a place for both shelter and harm. The seventh one is love and romance. Like many fairy tales, the story is an example of love conquering evil. The prince not only aids in saving Snow White from the queen's awful curse, but he also gives Snow White a happy ending, at least as far as fairy tales go. And the eighth one is good versus evil. Above all, though, the story highlights the inability of evil to conquer good. It may appear to win, but good will always pull out something or someone to right the wrongs. When I asked fabled listeners from one of my groups about what Snow White reminds them of, my friend Whitney responded with vampires. I asked her to elaborate, and even though my mind didn't go there immediately, I can totally see why this story has some vampiric similarities. Take the idea of immortality, for instance. Snow White achieves a level of immortality in The Sleeping Death. She remains perfect. The sleep itself resembles what we know about vampire lore. It mirrors the vampire's slumber in a coffin during daylight hours. Like vampires, Snow White's life experienced a transition. For her, the transition is from a life of hardship to one of peace and love. And then there's the symbolism of allure and possibly temptation. Like vampires, Snow White seemed to captivate the prince and the huntsman possibly even enchant him with just a look. Even the evil queen is taken aback by her beauty. Vampires are often portrayed as seductive in similar ways, not to mention that Snow White has pale skin and blood-red lips like vampires. Let's shift back to the evil queen. Though the foundations of the story are different, the queen dancing herself to death is akin to Hans Christian Andersen's The Red Shoes. It's a story of Karen, a young woman obsessed with a pair of red shoes with magical power. When she puts on the shoes, she cannot resist dancing nonstop. Even when she's in pain, she cannot stop dancing. The shoes seem to control her every movement, and her life quickly spins out of control. She's desperate for relief, so she seeks an executioner and prays for salvation. An angel appears and tells her that only a pure-hearted person can take off the shoes. An older woman helps Karen to remove the shoes. As soon as they're off, she realizes the error of her ways and learns that obsessions and superficial desires are dangerous. 
It's who we are on the inside that counts. So now we've discussed the various stories and myths associated with Snow White. Want to hear something strange? Have you ever heard of the Mandela Effect? The Mandela Effect is an observed phenomenon in which a large segment of the population misremembers a significant event or shares a memory of an event that did not actually occur. There are many fascinating and creepy instances of this effect. I encourage you to look it up if you aren't familiar. Why I mention it here, though, is that the Disney film Snow White actually makes this list of bizarre misrecollections. When you recall what the evil queen said, was it mirror, mirror on the wall? Who's the fairest of them all? Yeah, me too. I totally remember her saying that. Only, that's not what she actually says. In the Disney film, the queen says, magic mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Earlier in the episode, I quoted the actual story, and it says, Mirror, Mirror. It's only in the Disney's version that magic mirror is used, and yet so many of us swear we can see the animated evil queen saying, Mirror, Mirror. How is it that so many people misremember this, and a wide range of other instances like this, is a question that some people are answering with quantum theory. There is a belief that these strange instances prove that there is a parallel universe or possibly even that life itself is a simulation. Psychology, though, would akin it to deja vu or an unintentional distortion of memory. Either way, it's odd. And the fact that Snow White appears on this list, I thought, spoke to the power of story. The word that's misremembered is magic. So many of us remember it to be mirror, mirror. We know that people will repeat words when they feel the need to be emphasized. Instead of singling out the word magic, we deleted it and repeated it with the word mirror. Could that mean we subconsciously blame the mirror for all that befalls Snow White? Or could it simply mean that we were remembering the tale as it was read to or by us? Who can say? But there are some numerous mirror superstitions that date back for forever, and those might be worth digging into. While researching, I stumbled across the doppelganger or double shadow in relation to mirror superstition. According to German lore, a doppelganger is an evil twin or a spirit being that looks the same way as someone else, but does not have a shadow. Seeing one is a bad omen and may even signal impending death. In some accounts, the evil twin may attempt to provide advice to the person they shadow, and this advice may be malicious. Could the mirror's insistence on someone else being more beautiful than the queen have been an attempt to divide the two and wreak havoc on both of their lives, and possibly the kingdom itself? Could the mirror also be the evil twin? At the very least, the German lore of the doppelganger and the fear associated with gazing at one's twin in a mirror may hold the key to understanding the whole meaning of the story. Conversely, the queen's obsession with the mirror may stem from body dysmorphia. People who seek out the mirror often while suffering from this are doing it to ease their fears about what they look like. 
They need to check the mirror to see how others perceive them and to take note if their perceived deformity still exists or has become worse. In this case, some sympathy may be had for the queen. If she genuinely struggles that deeply with body image, it's easy to understand why she behaves the way she does to Snow White, even though sympathy is no excuse. All the fairy tales have lessons that I find to be particularly wise. The story of Snow White shares with readers the importance of friendship, the virtues of kindness, the perils of negative emotions, the value of inner beauty, and the transformative power of love. It also delves into dark subjects like the dangers of being too forgiving, too accepting, not suspicious enough, and relying on others to protect you. The tale reminds me too of the trope of a passive princess versus a practical, too much so in this case mature woman, and how those roles shift as women age. After all, as soon as Snow White is married, she kills her stepmother. Does that make her a monster now too? Or is that redemption? Even now, if we truly notice what we're watching, reading, and consuming, so much of the content is made for the young. And this makes sense. Youth, being a teen, is an exciting time. The whole world is at your fingertips. Anything is possible. You'll never be as brave and beautiful as you are in those brief years. But unlike what the fairy tales will have us believe, marriage isn't the end. And some princesses turn into evil queens, sometimes for understandable reasons. But when life isn't happily ever after, what happens to the middle-aged woman? A lot of lore turned them into witches, evil queens, awful stepmothers, and manipulative wives. We need more stories about mature women and men that aren't solely sexual or negative. We need the wisdom of the seasoned. The world doesn't only exist for the young. Just some food for thought there. The study of fairy tales changed the trajectory of my writing many years ago. My first novel, Fabled, is a mashup of fairy tales in an attempt to create an original one. The power of storytelling took root in a way that I'll forever be grateful for, but telling people that you study story doesn't always resonate. We associate fairy tales with childhood, but we shouldn't. Your favorite princess tells more about you than you think. Through story, I'm only now beginning to unpack the layers of understanding about my fears, weaknesses, and struggles. Snow White has always been the princess I identified with most. People who love books usually identify with Belle, but not me. I've always been Snow. So much so, my husband still writes to Snow on Christmas gifts. She's my girl. Now what that says about me, I'll let you be the judge. What's your favorite princess or fairy tale and why? Message me on social media. I would absolutely love to hear from you. Fabled is produced by me, Vanessa K. Eccles, with music by Kevin McLeod. If you'd like to leave a one-time tip, you can find a link to Venmo and PayPal in the show notes. As always, you can see a transcript and sources on the website. Until next time, thank you for listening.